Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. So hello, everyone. I am very excited to have this conversation today with a wonderful human being. Her name is Amy O'Rourke, and she is an author of The Fragile Years. This is a new book that has just come out, and we'll be talking a lot about that today because I know there's some amazing and very important pieces that we want to dive into around that. So Amy has 40 years worth of experience working with older adults, and she has been an administrator and owner of a care management company that recently sold. Congratulations, Amy. (laughs) And she continues to do consulting with Orosa and trains care managers as well. So welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for coming today. Laura, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. So I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, I am really excited. I want to just let our listeners know I have listened to you as a kind of a mentor from afar, I should say. You have been very involved in the Aging Life Care Association, which is a national association for geriatric care managers in the U.S. And so I've attended a few of your presentations over the years and just really admired your experience and your expertise. And so when I learned that you wrote this book, I had to reach out and have this conversation with you. So do you mind, first of all, I guess just to give our listeners a little idea of who you are, tell us just a little bit about how you got into this work of how did you get into the field of care management? What, what kind of led you to this work in your life? So I, when I was in high school, I volunteered at a girls club and we would bring the girls to a nursing home and we would entertain the residents in the nursing home. And I fell in love with the residents in the nursing home. I just thought they were so funny and they'd say everything and they were grateful. And so I got, you know, a degree in recreation. I was an activity director and then I became an administrator. And then I had a mentor, kind of like a coach. And she said, I think you should start your own business. You have a lot of like knowledge in your head. And she read an article about a care manager down in Miami. I live in Orlando. And I went and interviewed this care manager to see what she was doing. And then I went up to Atlanta and I thought, I can, I can do this. I'd like to help. And I wanted to get out of the, the regulatory environment and get into the community and help people directly. Because I was hearing, like I'd see in the nursing home, families didn't know how to navigate it. They'd get kicked out and not be able to get back in. And then people that moved into the retirement center, like, I don't want to be here, but my kids didn't know what to do with me. And I was seeing all this happen and think, you know, there is another way, but they didn't have anybody to turn to. And care management was fairly new at the time. So I just was 40, unmarried, mortgaged my house and started a care management company. (laughs) You jumped in in the deep end. (laughs) Oh my God, I just jumped in and I, I really wanted to help older people and their families. That was really all I wanted to do. The gratification of resolving problems and watching the stress go down on the part of the kids and the older person to this day brings me a lot of gratification. And I think for all that 
knowledge that's in my head that seemed fairly useless. Like who cares what I, what, who cares about household regulations? Well, people really do when your mom's in the hospital. Yeah. So that's, that's how I came to the field of care management. It's really loving older people. Amazing. Amazing. And I love your, as you probably know, there are so many people I run into when, when I ask that question, that it really brings us back to our younger years, uh, some experience that really touched us or um, moved us in a way. And so I love knowing that about you. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I didn't know that. So yeah, all the residents in a circle watching the kids do gymnastics and the look on their face, and they were so happy to be with younger people. And it just, it warmed my heart. And I thought, I just want to feel like this every day. Yeah. 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 This is life. This is what life's about, right? Yeah. Generational being human. Oh, that's yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell us a little about this book. What made you decide to write a book? <laughs> well, I didn't really want to write a book. A full open. I did not want to write a book. And I kept having people say, you should really write a book. You should really write a book. And then I think, should I write a book? And then I would say, I don't want to write a book. And then finally, an attorney that I've worked with for years said, you should really write. What's going on with that book of yours? So I thought, you know, I'm going to take this as a message. Like we all get messages. We listen to them or we don't listen to them. And I, I was hearing it consistently enough to think I'm going to honor that I heard it and I'm going to do something with it. I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. But I thought I'm going to just treat this like a learning experience for me. I'm going to learn what it takes to write a book and I'm going to get some help figuring it out. And the minute I opened my mouth, people started showing up in my life to help me write the book. The a woman that works with a good friend of mine knew a writer. He lives in Mount Dora. He wants to help me. He's got four aging parents. He had an agent. The agent had older relatives. She wanted to become my agent who gets an agent with their first book. She helped get it at Post Hill Press. Somebody at Post Hill Press had aging. It's all over. And so it really, not that it wasn't a lot of work, but all the people were laid in my path that I knew I was doing the right thing. And the other thing is not everybody can afford care management or they're afraid to spend the money on care management. And I wanted them to have a book that at least got them some inside intelligence to say, all right, if you don't want to hire a care manager, at least open this book to the hospital chapter, the nursing home chapter, the Medicaid chapter, and get some information that will help you in that moment. And then I thought, if this gets the word out, and this is really, you know, probably pie in the sky, I don't know. I thought if I could get the ear of a politician, you know, like if I, if somebody in Washington, we're already in a crisis, we've been in a crisis, it, this, I hate silver tsunami. That just makes me sick. Lots of older people needing help and our system needs to be reconfigured. So if one of them picked up the book and knew that it was a goal of mine and would call me, I would love to help restructure the system so that it was really what older people want. And I think we could save money in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I, I really, well, everything you're saying is speaking to me so deeply. And I mean, my passion is, as you know, is to share information, to get information out to people that need it. And so I love hearing that uh, a big piece behind this book was to just get information out to the people that need it the most. And I'm, 
I'm imagining. Um, so I haven't, I don't have the book yet. I'm really excited about getting it because I'm also imagining how helpful that book is going to be to not only family members, but also professionals, also professionals in a variety of scenarios that can reach to that chapter or refresh their mind or see the areas that they're not as strong in. Or It's such a good point, Laura, because it's like you and I know, so I defined, we all go through life stages. Okay. So we have, you know, the terrible twos, and then we have the teenage years and then the midlife crisis and like, well, the fragile years is a stage. It's definable. We all know it. Uh, you know it. You see it. That That's a fragile older person. I don't like the word frail. I like the word fragile. It's a stage and all care should be rendered to that stage. And what you see all the time in your daily work is the children don't know that they're in a new stage with their parents. They keep wanting them to get back to where they were. They want them to go in a direction that's not going to happen because they're in the fragile years. And then the older adult, and all you need to know is they're moving slower, they're walking slower, talking slower, eating slower, thinking slower, like everything's slowed down. There's stages that I outline in the book, but, but even if people will know that they're in the fragile years or that the parents are in, it helps them reset like, okay, oh, so mom's not going to get back to the gym three days a week. Oh, dad's not going to be golfing. Once they realize it and go, okay, I'm going to frame myself to where they are, it calms everything down. I love that perspective. You know, I think about, and I hate to use this medical model example, because, but you can't treat someone if we don't know the diagnosis. You know, if we're, if we're treating, if we're trying to find a solution, I love how you've just framed that of just right. being aware of really where is someone at so that then we can come from that perspective. Yeah. And then when you brought up professionals, like here the lawyer is and they have a their 88-year-old client. Well, your advice and direction right. in the fragile years is different than it is at 78. And if they can define it, they're going to help all their clients at least reset themselves. The wealth advisors, the primary care doctors. It Yeah, this is fantastic. I mean, like change. Yep, yep, absolutely. And then it's a you're going to have better success. I mean, you're just going to have better successful outcomes. You're not going to be fighting against like like you said the, an unrealistic expectation. And I'm curious, you know, with my psych background, yes. how, yeah, the psychological process that family members go through of that shift or, or even the older adult recognizing or not that they're in that stage. So oh, well, that's where your background in counseling is. So we refer a lot. I refer a lot of adult children to counseling and the older adult because it's painful. It's emotionally painful. And a lot of, I don't want to say bad decisions, but regrettable decisions are made from unresolved pain or grief that fear fear I'm scared and what do people do when they're scared they get mad or they get controlling so yeah. daughter's trying to make mom do things and daughter's yelling at dad and I'm raising my hand I yelled at my dad and you know he's yeah say, you're getting kind of snippy with me. And I think, oh, I'm so sorry, but I was so anxiety ridden. 
with where his mind was going. And it, it grieved me to see this big strapping self-made guy diminish. It, it was just painful. And so your background with care management, you can speak right to it. I can talk to him up to a point and then I think I'm out of my depth. I got to get him to a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that all of these areas, I mean, that's why I love getting to talk to, to professionals like you, Amy, is because as you well know, so many family members, we don't, none of us, I mean, myself included, I didn't, I don't plan for my parents to get old or me or my grandparents. You just, we live life and you kind of fall into these situations and nobody's expected to be an expert in these areas, even though by the time many caregivers are through that part of their journey, they feel like an expert for sure. That's why this information, like your book, is going to be so helpful because again, you, you're not expected to be an expert. You, you can pull out this book and use it as a manual or at least enough to get your brain thinking in the areas that you wouldn't have thought of before. So I want to ask you a couple questions, if you don't mind. I, not uh, at all. Not at all. Okay. So one question that comes up with family members is, how would someone know when it's time to step in as a decision maker? And this is a big question, as you are well aware of, and so many listeners are, because people dip in and out of their capacity to make decisions. And often families desire to respect the autonomy of the older adults that they're caring for. And especially when we're talking dementia, again, that that dipping in and out of capacity piece is so huge. So yeah, what are your thoughts about that? So I like to think about it like, where is it that your parent wants help or expresses it, whatever that is, whatever it is, pick up the mail, like whatever, seemingly do it, do it and do it happily to give them the emotional feeling of what it's like to receive help. Like start experientially, give them that feeling. Don't do it on your terms. Do things for them on their terms. You might think it's ridiculous. Drive mom down to the Bob Evans to have lunch with her girl buddies and eat all horrible food. Like, I don't want to do it, but you do it because it's what she wants. Most people haven't had the conversations ahead of time. So I don't want anyone to feel bad that I'm saying this, but it's really nice if you have the luxury of asking questions of your parents, like, what is your vision? Like for me, what's your vision for my role? Or how do you see me involved in your life when you're like if you're in the hospital or something or something, you know, you have a stroke or, and then if something happens to one of their friends, get them to talk about it and listen to their horror of it or their anxiety of it or their judgment. And, and then ask questions that say, well, that help me know what, what I'm to do for you. Like, how do you see that? And help me know, because the last thing I'd want to do is going one direction when you want me to be going in another. And I'd like to get some of those things wrapped up early. Then, then if you add, and this is the hardest one, and I'll, I'll say this not to sound trite, but the easy ones are when someone has a memory impairment 
and they obviously they have a memory impairment, they've been tested and they don't have capacity. Those are easy. Then you just have to lovingly manipulate to preserve their peace of mind and their autonomy. It's when they kind of had capacity, but that got impaired judgment. And yeah. then it gets a little tricky. And then if you if you're unsuccessful, then my thing is don't feel bad until the crisis happens. Just have your plan B for what you're going to do when you have to step in. Mm-hmm. And it, it might not work, but you can, without any pressure, say, do you want me to bring, you want me to order, you know, food for you? Do you want, I have a lot of people say, I'll do your laundry for you. Well, maybe doing the laundry gets them satisfaction. Maybe, you know, but there, it might be vacuuming. You know, you bring, that is such a good point. And that's something that I see a lot with the counseling side is that people need a sense of purpose and meaning in their life still. And so often we see families move their loved ones to assisted living or memory care where, and everything's done for them. Mom, you don't have to cook anymore or clean anymore. And they don't re often realize, and and the doesn't either sometimes menial tasks in an effort of the family member to relieve them or take some stress or pressure away is actually removing a sense of purpose or meaning. And so I just, yeah, I appreciate you. No, no, you're absolutely right. And then that learn dependence and you end up getting a little depressed. I mean, it's got some emotional cascading that's not always helpful. I remember I had a 92 year old client that her bedroom was upstairs and she had a long stairwell, like long stairway. And what did the daughter want? She wanted her mom to move downstairs. And I was like, no, (laughs) no. You know, her legs are in great shape because she's walking up and down those stairs. She get, you know, like it's good for her. And she's not 92 at home living on her own. I mean, that's why she's there. So, but the daughter's value was thinking that she was going to prevent a fall. Right. But the mother said to me, you know, my daughter wants to stop me from walking up and down the stairs. Like, you know what I mean? She knew. She knew. <laughs> she knew. She knew. And I thought, you know, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. So I had to teach the daughter, yeah. you know, and what the daughter ended up doing is sending on Friday nights a meal from her favorite restaurant. Got it. The mom got a, you know, a wonderful meal from a restaurant and it was a beginning. It was just a beginning. It wasn't, you know, the kids always want to go at Mach 10. And it's really, you know, you got to stay at two because too much too soon usually makes the older person mad, rightfully so. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. I love, you brought up so many things. I want to just kind of recap what you said because it's so important. The very first thing that you said that I was like, yes, I'm going to write this down. I remember it for myself is the opportunity to teach a human being, a person who has been independent their whole lives how to receive. So I love uh, that you said that, that, that start out slow and gentle uh, with these opportunities to receive because it is, it's a skill and it can be uncomfortable for people, especially right. a person who is fearful of losing independence will often resist at their own detriment because if they crack that door, then they think they're going to lose all control. And so thank you for saying that. Um, no, it's really true. And the, the other thing is like, especially if there's children involved, 
I told my dad this, and it's really true. I learned so much from him, but I told him that as a father, he was still teaching me when he would let me help him. When he finally let go, you know, your kids are watching you and it's another opportunity to parent and to teach how, how do you do this mom? How do you do this dad? And then your kids are watching you with how you're handling your parents. So it all, without any words at all, everyone's watching everybody and that's how you learn. And I think it's more painful to receive. I mean, I, from experience and I'm the giver and when I've had to be given to, it's very uncomfortable. And I love hanging on to that because it helps me remember what the, my clients feel. And then to remember that the minute, the minute you have a caregiver come in your home or the minute a care manager comes in, that's the beginning of the end of the client, whether you want it to be or not, it's the beginning of the end. And it's not, you're not going to need less. So if I can postpone it long enough, then I don't have to feel my own mortality. And I'd like to get clients talking about that. Oh, yeah. You know, like, is it weird that I'm here with you? Like, is it, how does it feel? Like, how did you ever think you'd have somebody in your house doing these things for you? And I love listening to them and then asking them, how can I make it a little easier for you? How can I? what do I need to know about you? And who are you? Like what? And and then if you can get your parents to tell you that in that vulnerable state, the memories I have of my father, oh, are with me today. I mean, I, I could literally get choked up. The first time he got bathed by a caregiver, he called me up and he said, you just would never believe what happened to me today. A woman came in my room a woman came in my room and she, she wiped me down. She gave me a bath. I have never been bathed. I said, how was it? Was that weird? And we just talked about it. Wow. And you don't think about that. You know, I think a lot about the importance of curiosity, you know, remaining in the, the, call a beginner's mind, you know, being curious about this new experience. And I love how you said that because you just, again, kind of modeled that with, tell me, what is this like for you? Is it weird that I'm here? Or is it, what was it like to have a bath for the first, be given a bath for the first time you're a baby? Yeah, this is. Yeah. It's how is it having a roommate? How is it like, just include me in this, in this journey that you're on and let me be part of it with you. And that, what do we all want, but to be heard and seen and loved. I mean, that's at the heart to me, you know, when I have a friend really listen to me, it could make me just cry, just having someone know me and see me. And if you can give that to an older person, your mom or your dad, that is really a foundation for anything else that you want to do with them. Mm-hmm. Once you establish that rapport, and then there's always the angry ones and the paranoid ones, and that you know you have a lot of. But you know, if you can get a little niggling of that feeling with them every once in a while, you've won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're still growing and learning and evolving. There's still life there. There's still experiences to be had. And oh, yeah, this is yeah beautiful. 
Yeah. You also mentioned values. I I hadn't thought of that before, but what was the example you used? The daughter's value was that her mom was safe and not going to fall down the stairs. And the mother's value was that she could maintain her strength and autonomy. And, and so I think that's just a fantastic perspective to be thinking of with families as well as what are the values at play and how do those, how do they, those values differ? And yeah, like if we eliminated right and wrong and good and bad, like if we just eliminated those words, like, like let's just, just play that game. Mm-hmm. And let's say, who are you and who am I? And if I could have my way, what would that be? And if dad, you could have your way, what would that be? And just get to know each other without any outcome in mind. You know, I used to give a talk and I actually wrote an article when parents have the right to make bad decisions. And I, I entitled that because really, really bad. I mean, to be known. So you, the older person says, and, and sometimes it's ridiculous, you know, and you think, oh my God, getting on the stepladder and fixing the roof, dad, really you're 93, <laughs> but it's his value. He's a fix-it man. He's a handyman. He's prided himself on never hiring anybody to fix anything in the house. And so if not the roof, can he, can he get up there, you know, electrically? Can somebody go up there with him? Can he, is there a way, you know, is there something else that he could fix? Is there a way to meet that need? But, but those are the really fun conversations to have. Oh, Amy, you, you, you brought up this memory of my grandfather who, Oh my gosh, I forgot all about this till you said this. He's in a wheelchair with a catheter out on the back porch. My mom and my sister telling him where to hold the beam. He's got a two by four and his son yeah, yeah. going down his shirt. <laughs> they laugh about this memory constantly because he's doing it. You are not stopping right. this guy. And um, right. what an endearing memory for us now. I know that my mom and my sister were pulling their hair out because he's got a buzz saw and he's, you know, (laughs) but I appreciate, I think people need to hear this too. You know, this is such an important conversation about that autonomy. And so, yeah, this is, thank you again. You're welcome. And thanks for sharing that memory about your granddad. I can picture it. And I, I think go granddad, like no one was stopping him. No, he was, yell- he was yelling at them. No, <laughs> they were, were turning the board the other way. <laughs> oh, my oh. Yeah. well, tell okay. So, here's another question for you. A lot of times, families want to know what they're doing that's making their stress worse. So, I'm imagining family members that are, again, you kind of started to allude to that, really. They're just trying to do the right thing. They're trying to prevent a crisis from occurring. All of those different scenarios that come up and stress levels go up high. So, yeah. So it's a takeoff on the the 10-second rule or the 24-second rule. I lesson number one for me is if you think you need to say it now, wait two days. Like I had a a friend of mine used to say all the time, urgency is a sign of immaturity. If you have to say it fast, it probably doesn't need to be said. And I have hung on to that. And so if I feel really, really like I got to with a client or with a friendship or my husband, or 
I, I don't say anything because that has stayed in my head. And it's really true with your parents. What do we do when we're anxious? We try to get something under control. So lesson number one is slow everything down. If your goal is usually too big to be realistic. So check your goal out with somebody professional or somebody that's had taken care of their parents before. Does this sound realistic to you? Usually people try to go too big and not start, you know, eight hours a day, seven days a week with the caregiver rather than once a week for four hours. Take the keys away when maybe it's just driving at night. They uh, just so check your your goals out and see that it's in line with reality. Be really transparent when you don't have it in you to have a frustrating conversation. You know, like tell me what you tell me more about that. Yeah. So when you grow older. It's very, people say something about, you know, my, my parents, you know, self-absorbed or self-centered or, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but you know, when you're, when you're getting ready to leave the world, like getting ready to die, not tomorrow, not in a month, but you're on that trajectory. It's kind of normal to disengage interest in things outside you because you can't leave the world and stay in it. You can't like, it's kind of normal. But it's really frustrating, really frustrating to not hear, I realize how much this must be for you with everything else you're juggling around. They really don't, maybe don't realize everything you're juggling around because they're, they're halfway out the door. Yeah. So they're, they're being self-centered acting yeah. and you need someone to say thank you. And you're exhausted, you're fatigued, and it's okay to say, you know what? this is an important conversation. I wish I had it in me to have it, but I think I want to postpone it to tomorrow because I, I just ran out of gas. I'm tired and a little hungry and mm -hmm. I'd like to have a, a healthier, more productive conversation, but I don't have it at the moment. And I love you, but, and just don't, if you can, right. don't do it. Yeah. Oh, I love that you said that. It's really, I mean, the, yeah. the piece about, I, I just, I hadn't thought of it that way that because we hear that a lot, the self, you know, my parents have no idea how much I'm doing for them or they Why? can't, they see I'm bending over backwards and I'm exhausted. And I love that you just kind of called that out in a way that, that really makes sense of um, yeah, it's their ability and, and their stage in life. Right. That's just, which is what we're talking about. It's their stage in life and rare is the parent that can really see all that you're juggling. Mm -hmm. And if you need gratitude or thanks, then, you know, look around your circle of influence. And this is the other thing that everybody has their own way of getting support, you know, and I've heard this that I've tried to have support groups and a lot of adult children don't want to go to support groups because it depresses them. Mm -hmm. And so I used to have a problem solving group where they'd come in and and I'd fix their problems for an hour. That was what, you know what I mean? Like, tell me what your problem is and I'll fix it. You don't have to talk about how you're feeling. I don't care how you're feeling. I just fix your problem. You know what I mean? Like, let's do that. And that was a blast. They'll come but, to that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But whatever it is for you, I'll say, I'll say what I get, where I get my support. I'll call somebody that has been through what I've been through and when I know I'm really going to get heard and vent really vent. 
And anything that you think is really bad about how, how you're thinking, like, I wish she would just die. You know, who, what daughter under stress hasn't thought that? I, and then you feel horrible. Well, it's normal. It's, it's normal. normal. I wish this was over. So that's what I do. You don't want to call somebody invent who's never been through it before because they'll say things that will make you feel worse because <laughs> they don't know. They don't know. Oh my God, I can't believe your mother's doing that to you. And oh my God, that's not making you feel better. All you need is somebody to really listen to you. I'll go to yoga. I'll go outside. I'll get some sunlight. I'll get in a pool. You know, just the things that help me get filled back up. Because if you think about your emotional tank, if you're caring for a parent, you're at half empty all the time. So, you know, you can't, you can't run on empty and act well. It's just not normal. So, and then the last thing I would say is get somebody who really knows you to tell you what you could do to make yourself feel better. What is it I need to do? And, it, and then you can ask, like, I've got a couple of girlfriends that I would say, I want you to cue me when I'm acting ugly. Like, if you think I'm not getting support, tell me. So maybe you can get someone because we don't always recognize it in ourselves. All we're doing is hanging on the frustration for the 20th time your dad called you about the remote control. And that's like a universal problem. Like, yeah. no older adult, why don't they just get a remote control? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there are those out there. There are. Get a good remote control. Don't use those big, long ones with all those buttons and yikes. So <laughs> nobody use it. Nobody knows how to use those. Nobody knows how to use it. <laughs> well, then you have to have two and then, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I hear you saying give permission to people that you trust to call you out on your stuff when you when you need it. I, 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 I that. Well said, that's it. That's it. Yeah. You just in advance because you know what's going to happen. You just Mm -hmm. know what's going to happen. And when, when I think I really need to, you know, get in there and it's the time I need to, you know, go take a walk. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That is such good advice. I mean, because again, we're as a caregiver, or an adult child or family member, you're learning so much about yourself through this, right? Like people are becoming aware, hopefully, of the little signs and symptoms of burnout uh, because everyone's unique. And, you know, some people can handle some things, some people can others. And you may be surprised that you normally could handle something, but you're not. (laughs) So recognizing that your first signs or symptoms of needing to take a step back or replenish your, your, um, well, yeah, that's fantastic. Okay. Here's another question for you. I love, I love having this conversation so much. Tons of people ask me, I'm sure ask you, uh, when you're caring for a loved one who has memory impairment, a huge fear that people have is that they themselves are going to lose their memory. You know, again, whether you're an adult child caring for someone or you're a spouse, you're watching your loved one decline, you start to worry about what if this is me? What if this happens to me? So a, a question that I hear a lot, too, is how can I help prevent my own memory loss? Well, 
I love that question. And I tell you why I love it, because it's really not as complicated as people might think, you know, like that old worn out phrase of, you, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. You know, you picture, you know, a prisoner of war in a, they come out and they're like, so social engagement, talking to someone every day on the phone, getting out and interacting with people, walking and talking with a friend. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of processed foods that inflame the system. So, you know, fruits and vegetables and, you know, people are like, oh, but, you know, limit your processed foods, give yourself, you know, two days a week of having that and then really watching that. But, and then, and then, you know, an activity a day that helps you get outside yourself. Like, you know, just it unhooks the brain from the downward spiral of self-inflicted torture is what I call it. You're just, and when I stop and, you know, maybe it's calling a friend who's just gone through cancer treatment, or maybe it's calling the church to say, do they have shut-ins that I can call for them if you can't leave your house? Maybe it's, you know, walking the neighbor's dog or letting them out you know, something that is an outward, you know, maybe it's the Gallup Publix. It's always so friendly to you. Maybe you get a little card and go through the register and give her a card to say, thank you for always being so kind to me about bagging my groceries. And there's all kinds of ways in the course of a day that you can give. Maybe it's somebody that always looks sour and you just say, I'm going to smile at them every single day. I'm going to let them know that there's a happy person in the world. And, you know, just, just something every day that takes you outside yourself to, to maintain a good brain, sleep, 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 sleep. There's lots of things in writing about this all over, which I'm really relieved. A good night's sleep. And if you're not sleeping through the night, that's not normal. Like, yeah, absolutely. Look yeah. at it. They call it sleep hygiene, which I think is kind of a weird term. <laughs> yes. It's a weird term. Hygiene. I'm sleeping, taking a shower. I don't, am I sleeping, shaving? I don't know. I, I know, I know. It's a weird phrase, but that's what it's called. But I, you know, but I think take that to heart because all the clinical evidence about the lack of sleep and being a precursor to lots of chronic conditions and memory impairment, yep. diabetes, diet, you know, obesity, so those are ways that in the course of just everyday living, you can do to help maintain your brain and a healthy brain, social awesome. engagement. Yeah. Love that. Everything you said. Yes, yes, yes. I yeah. love that's one of my favorite topics to talk about too, is how stress impacts the brain and memory and how our brain neurons, they, they used to think that when you, you, well, you use the term when you use it, if you don't use it, you lose it, which is true. And they also know that you can regenerate new brain cells. And so don't give up hope, you know, keep at it. And inflammation of the brain, stress causes inflammation, bad food causes inflammation, you know, just if you can keep the inflammation down and think of inflammation more than just a physiological effect, but also an emotional, you know, when we our emotions become inflamed. Keeping right. at bay. Yeah. I love right, that. Right, right, right. It's like 
the metaphor I think about when I think about an inflamed system, I'm glad you said that about emotions and just picturing your system getting inflamed is like, if it's, if you have a salmon go up river, right? Salmon goes up river. If there's no water in the river, the salmon can't swim up river. So if you have an inflamed system, the fluid, you, you, nutrients can't get where they need to get. It's just like a lay person's, just picture that and picture yeah. your body needing whatever nutrients you put in. It can't get there. <laughs> it's like, it can't yeah. get there. So no I, matter I, how I, hard you try, it's not a matter of effort. You have to give the right, that's right. the right environment for your that's body. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. You're anybody that you talk to out in Olympia are so lucky to have you, Laura, everything oh that you, God. it's a really, it's a gift to be able to hear and help at the depth that you help. And, you know, there is a, a lot of meaning and intimacy and spirituality that can come out of this time of life. And I feel so confident that you help people get there. Oh, Amy, the world needs more people like that. I feel very honored to have had this conversation with you. It's a real honor. And it gives the, you know, the older adult and their families to know that that kind of help is out there is, is just wonderful. Really wonderful. From the bottom of my heart. Thank you. I, and I, I feel likewise. I mean, I, I am so happy to have this opportunity to talk to you and to have this podcast as a platform because so many people feel so isolated and alone and, and they don't have, they, they may not have others or they may not even have the capacity to formulate what their concerns are. And so this podcast hopefully will find the right people. I just believe that. And it may yeah. be a year from now that someone listens to this or, to, you know, next week, but this message is to you if you are listening and no matter when it is. So Amy, I, I'm so excited about your book. Can you please tell us where we can find it? Tell us the title again, and then how can we access it? So it's called The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for Caring for Your Loved Ones. And it's on Amazon. So you Amazon.com and you put in the fragile years and it pops right up. And it's always a like a little flicker of excitement when I see the book actually turn up. Wow, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's really there. It's really there. <laughs> yep. Yep. Love it. If folks want to learn more about you or your work or what you're up to in the world, what's the best way that they can find that information? I would go to agingexpert.com. Okay. I set up a website with podcasts and videos and stuff on there for help yourself to anything on there that you want, Laura. It, it's, I don't care where it goes. It's fine, but that's the best place to go to, to see and learn and find out about me. Wonderful. Amy, you are such a gift to this world of aging. And I just appreciate so much. I'm so glad you wrote this book. I'm so glad you listened to your intuition and path unfolded before you. So thank you so much for coming on. I really thank you. Thank you for having me. And if you're listening to this, 
reach out for help. We're glad you're out there. And we really hope you pull from everything that's around you through this time with whoever it is you're taking care of. So thank you so much, Lord. It's good to finally like see you and connect with you. <laughs> yes. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.